Welcome to Diverse Voices, a new Central Michigan Life podcast hosted by me, Mia Sikha. Our goal for Diverse Voices is to bring listeners a sound similar to their own and attention to world issues affecting Mount Pleasant and CMU. Today with me, I have Dr. Adekwari of the CMU Political Science Department. Thanks for being here today and thank you for talking with me. Thanks for having me, Mia. I'm a professor of political science at Central Michigan University at CMU. I teach courses on international relations and comparative politics, and uh, I specialize in the area of conflict processes, war and peace, but more specifically civil war and forced migration. Great, thank you. So today we're going to be talking about a pretty serious topic, something that is pretty common to diverse voices, but we're taking on a most serious tone to talk about it. Um, it's a topic that's affecting all of us right now. It's the war between Ukraine and Russia. As a result of the Russian invasion of a sovereign democratic of its sovereign democratic neighbor. For those who are unfamiliar, we'll do a rundown before we get into our discussion today. So Ukraine actually used to be a part of the Soviet Union, which was mostly Russia and then their sovereign countries. So it actually came in, became independent in 1991, and we haven't seen a lot of conflict since. Around February 23, 24 this year, 2020, of course, Russia had officially attacked Ukraine and were targeting civilian heavy spaces. Both Russia and Ukraine have mentioned that they're open to peace talks, but want very different things. As of Monday this past week, Poland has opened its borders to Ukrainian refugees. As we speak, over half a million Ukrainians have fled their country, according to the UN Agency for Refugees. For a lot of people, like I said, this conflict probably seems really sudden, but Russia has had some intentions for Ukraine for a while now. I think with the war, it's just become so much more obvious that what they want out of this situation, so why don't we look into that? A big thing that I've heard from a lot of media outlets recently and Russia themselves is that Russia is pretty set on Ukraine not joining NATO and surrendering their government to a more Moscow-controlled state that Russia would prefer. Do I have that right, Professor? That's right. Um, so NATO was created in 1949 after the end of the Second World War by 12 countries to oppose and deter Soviet power uh, in Europe. Uh, the Soviet bloc created its own counterpart called the Warsaw Pact in 1955, but they disbanded it in 1991 after the end of the Cold War, which is when the Soviet Union fell apart. Uh, NATO has continued to exist and continued to expand. Uh, the biggest issue for Russia is NATO's eastward expansion. Um, of course, the continuation of NATO's existence, but also its expansion towards its border. And so in 1999, former Soviet bloc countries, Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary joined NATO. Uh, in total, 14 countries have joined NATO since the end of the Cold War, bringing the total membership to 30 from what used to be 16 when the Cold War ended. Now, this is a real concern for Russia. and. Um, President Putin has a real reason uh, to be worried about NATO expansion. And so Russian leaders oppose NATO's expansion into European countries, uh, and they view them as aggressive and anti-Russian. Uh, Ukraine is an independent country, as you just mentioned. It became an independent country in 1991. It wants to become a member of the European Union and eventually 
join the NATO, uh, Russia sees it as a threat to its national security. It sure does. So for NATO, for leaders, for listeners who still aren't super familiar, is is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's made up of 28 European countries plus the U.S. and Canada. Canada, sorry, dedicated to the defense of its members. Article 5 of NATO says an attack to any one member is an attack to all. Now we all know. Now that we all know what NATO is, let's look into what Russia's demands mean for Ukraine and for all of us. Like Dr. Adhikari said, Russia sees the joining of NATO to be a threat for them. Why is that? So if Ukraine surrenders at some point and agrees to never become a member of NATO, what does that mean internationally? Whether Ukraine joins NATO or not doesn't seem to carry much weight for us, but the implication of Russia wanting to implement a Moscow-controlled influence government in Ukraine could actually affect us all internationally. So in the U.S., how could that affect us, Dr. A? Yeah, the, that's a really good question, right? For us uh, living in the United States of America, there are even questions like, why should we even care about what's happening in Ukraine? Uh, or should we even worry about it, right? But the question is, uh, it has a real significance, but from a geopolitical point of view, uh, U.S. is a member of the NATO uh, alliance, which actually is a founding member of the NATO alliance. Now, uh, the, the concern here is if Russia continues to advance westward and attacks NATO member countries such as Poland or Romania, and uh, as you mentioned in just a minute ago that uh, the NATO uh, Article 5 says that an attack on one country is attack on all of them which means that would mean that the United States would have been attacked because a NATO member country has been attacked and therefore uh, US would be treaty bound to get involved in the war. Uh, More importantly though, Ukraine is a democratic country and it aspires to be a democratic country. It doesn't want to be part of uh, an authoritarian Russian empire and uh, therefore, the U.S. being a democratic country, a champion of liberal democratic system that's been put in place since the end of the Second World War, uh, it is our moral obligation to support our democratic alliance. Right on, Dr. Hay. And I think that also has been a lot of what President Biden has actually said in a lot of his speakings when it comes to Ukraine is not only are we obligated by this treaty, but we're also obligated because they are a democracy and we support them. I think that's a really good point. Um, So in addition to all of this, according to the New York Times, the European Union and the United States have imposed sanctions on Russia. So what do these sanctions mean and why has the EU and the US done this? Right, so state leaders can apply variety of different kinds of levers to influence the outcome of a conflict. One of those is a nonviolent means of influencing other actors, in this case, Russia. And those nonviolent means include diplomacy, and you would recollect that uh, you and the United States tried diplomatic means, and they've been warning Russia against invading, and then they've been warning with economic sanctions. And so diplomacy, it was tried, it didn't work. And so uh, what do you have left? You have economic sanctions, among others. 
there are other um, nonviolent means of uh, stopping an um, aggressor, yeah, right? So foreign aid and so forth. So the intention of economic sanctions uh, in imposed by the United States and European Union on Russia are meant to dry up Russian economy and deter Putin from invading Ukraine. What they do is that they make it difficult for Russia to trade with the rest of the world, isolate their economy, and basically cut the sources of their military expenditures. And Putin is already feeling the pain as we speak. Um, Russian economy has been isolated. Putin and his oligarchs have been lost. They've lost access to their wealth. And the ruble has crossed, really. Um, Russian planes have been, aeroplanes have been banned from flying in and out of Europe. And last night, I think, in the State of Union, President Biden said uh, they are banned from flying in and out of the United States of America as well. You're right. I do think that was part of the State of the Union. Um, something that I think was also pretty recent. <clears throat> sorry, folks, it's sore throat. Um, that was also pretty recent that had to do with the ruble, their currency in Russia, is that a lot of people were taking money out of banks and trying to transfer it, trying to find somewhere else or just bringing it home in Russia because they're worried about the economy crashing, which it is doing right now. I mean, on another note, though, we're pretty far past that. I know it means so many Ukrainians are leaving for Poland. The Ukrainian government has said that they want peace, but they're pretty ready for war. Do we really think that these sanctions will do anything? Right. So, as I said, economic sanctions are designed to have an impact in the long term, right? Uh, not in the near term. So we will have to wait for some time for the sanctions to have a real impact on Russia. Uh, what is important though in the near term right now is that Ukrainian forces endure Russian assault. They just don't surrender and that they are able to defend their territory, preventing Russia from overtaking major cities, which is what, according to the most recent report, uh, Russia tends to be doing. They are taking uh, the major cities. So that seems to be working to some extent in the sense that uh, Ukrainian forces have been able to slow down, if not totally prevent Russia from attacking. Uh, you would recollect that uh, Putin's initial calculation was that he would invade Ukraine in a matter of hours not weak. So it's been more than six weeks. That seems to suggest that the sanctions are working to some extent. Ukrainians have been able to defend their territory. Uh, and there are reports that Russian tanks are running out of gas and ordinary Russian citizens, like you just mentioned a minute ago, are having difficulty purchasing basic commodities like daily necessities, uh, not to mention the difficulty in withdrawing their currencies uh, there are also reports that their currency, they cannot use ruble to pay for uh, international exchanges, for example, because the ruble is very soon going to become a non-convertible currency. Now, what is a non-convertible currency is that no country in the world would be willing to take your currency. In, in that means your, your dollar, your, con your money just becomes useless piece of paper. And so that for that to happen, it is going to take uh, some time. So in the long run, the Russian economy will be totally cut off from the rest of the world. 
making it extremely difficult for Russians to trade with the rest of the world. And that would that is the intention, and that's how economic sanctions are designed to work. Nice. So if we had to make a prediction here, March 2nd, 2020, about what will happen next or what will be the end game of Ukraine-Russia, what can we infer? Well, it is difficult to make a prediction. Exactly what will happen next is somewhat difficult to say right up front. Uh, a lot of it will depend very much on how far Putin is willing to go. And um, what we can say is we can come up with a, a some likely scenario. And in my opinion, uh, there can be at least two or three likely scenarios. One, Ukraine is able to defend its territory, defeat Russian forces and force Russia to withdraw. That would be the best scenario, which is what we all are hoping, uh, uh, but that, that, that's one scenario. Two, Russia defeats Ukraine, holds the territory, occupies it until eventually merging it with Russia. That's uh, another likely scenario. The third one is Russia invades Ukraine, continues to advance westward to countries such as Poland or Romania or Hungary. This would force NATO, and like you said at the beginning, uh, Article 5 of the NATO treaty would be invoked. And that would mean that NATO would be forced to respond, which would result in a full-blown European war that would drag the United States to join in. And this would be the worst scenario. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, number one, I think that's maybe our best case. And like you said, number three, that's, that's our worst case scenario. Um, so based on that and the way that NATO works and how the United States would have to get involved it if Russia continues to expand westward, do we have any idea of the United States' future involvement with the Ukrainian struggle? I mean, is it possible for us to still get involved even if they're only looking to just conquer Ukraine? Again, much of this will depend on how the war progresses. Like, and as we just discussed, if, if Putin's intention is just to invade Ukraine and hold the territory and merge it with Russia, then uh, that's another scenario, right? We might not get involved in it. Uh, but President Biden has said the US will not send troops to fight on the ground, but will continue to support our NATO ally. Uh, that means you will, uh, US will get involved only if Russian forces attack NATO member countries, which is the third um, scenario we just talked about, right? The worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, US will continue to provide military and financial support to Ukraine. Now, having said that, and there's there, there's so many other things going on as we speak, right? Uh, Ukraine has just said that uh, they want to join EU. Ukrainian president came out and said that should a great statement yesterday uh, that they want to join EU. What that means is that that is trying to encourage you to come in and protect. Um, Ukraine is also demanding Europe and the rest of the country to uh, declare a no-fly zone in Ukraine. Now, what that means is if you declare a no-fly zone, uh, the way it works is if a country is declared a no-fly zone, 
Russia would not be allowed to or permit to or would be able to fly into Ukraine and bomb Ukrainian cities the way it's been doing. Uh, now, declaring a no-fly zone is one thing, but implementing is another thing. So if EU declares Ukraine is a no-fly zone and if Russia violates it, then NATO would be forced to implement the declaration that would drag NATO into war with Ukraine. In that case, again, that's another scenario where uh, the United States might be forced to join the war. Interesting. All right, well, now that we understand the situation and we've explored all the options, let's look into some of the ways that we as Americans can help Ukraine and maybe even specifically CMU students. I'm gonna be linking all of these organizations and all of the ways you guys can help in our description today. So if you're looking for ways to help, don't you don't have to look much further than the Spotify description. All right, so you can donate to non-governmental organizations and nonprofits in Ukraine, including Doctors Without Borders, Sunflower of Peace, International Committee for the Red Cross, CARES Ukraine Crisis Fund, and Global Citizen. You can also stay informed and help others spread correct, well-researched media. You can do this by donating or supporting Ukraine-based media and other outlets covering from Ukraine, or you can join and organize peace protests against the war. Am I missing anything? Uh, yes. Uh, the one you just mentioned are the best way to extend our support to Ukrainians. Uh, fighting the invading Russian army on the ground. Uh, here in Michigan, though, and in the United States, uh, we have a large Ukrainian immigrant community, including some CME faculty members in our college and students. So the most important thing we can do at this very difficult and painful time for our uh, Ukrainian fellow citizens is for us as American citizens to show them that we are with them in their fight against an invading autocratic regime. Uh, more than anything, as I said before, they need our moral support. Uh, as CMU students, um, there are a number of things you can do this. Uh, one is you can uh, either join or reach out to Amnesty International at CMU. This is an RSO. Uh, it's very much in functioning at CMU. And as you know, Amnesty International works for protecting human rights, and we have a chapter at CMU. Uh, you can also join or reach out to another RSO, a uh, registered student organization called Refugee Outreach Collective. Uh, Refugee Outreach Collective works for protecting the rights of displaced persons uh, globally, and they are connected with various nonprofits in the state of Michigan, and in Mexico, and in Africa, in Malawi, and other countries. As we uh, discussed at the beginning, according to the UNHCR, more than 660,000 Ukrainians have fled their country so far to the neighboring countries. This individual will need support and CMU students can come together to help them. Um, CMU, as CMU students, you can also join or reach out to Model UN at CMU. Uh, as you know, the UN General Assembly uh, is holding an emergency meeting as we uh, speak um, right now in response to the Russian invasion. 
remember that Russia is a permanent member of the UN Security Council. So therefore it is becoming very difficult for the UN to respond. Um, so as CMU students, uh, you can join or reach out to Model UN and then show your solidarity with students from around the world who are also member of Model UN chapters in the respective colleges and universities. Um, and, and together you can come together in opposing Russian invasion. Those are all great ideas, Professor. And on that note of the UN right now, I wanna shift a little bit off script and talk about how since Russia is a permanent member, member of the UN and when a Russian minister actually gave um, I believe he was just giving a speech in the UN. A lot of people walked out. Um, a lot of international countries that I don't think we anticipated being involved in the conflict walked out. So what does that mean for the climate of just the UN in general? That's a, right, right. So because Russia is a prominent member of the UN Security Council, what that means is Russia has a veto power. Any resolution that is passed by the UN Security Council to punish Russia, Russia can veto it. So in that sense, there's really not much you can do about it, except, and I don't want to get into that discussion, but so we can somehow the UN Security Council or the UN is able to come up with a way to terminate Russians' membership from the United Nations. Now that's too extreme and that is extremely unlikely and that's not going to happen. And so that's what uh, the UN is trying to deal with. How do you deal with a country who is also a permanent member of the UN Security Council, has a veto power, how do you punish them, right? So that's what the UN is trying to come up with. I don't think they have really come up with exactly a way to deal with it, but that's what's going on. So if at all uh, anything, uh, the walkout that you observed yesterday when a Russian foreign minister was speaking was a symbolic gesture of isolating, boycotting. You know, the countries around the world are telling Russia, hey, you are alone. Stop this. You don't have supporters. You don't have allies. Uh, and so that's what it was. All right. Well, I just wanted to squeeze that in. I know we weren't we weren't scripted for that today, but um, it looks like we are running out of time. Um, any last thoughts for our listeners, Professor? Right. <clears throat> International scholars and um, some political um, thinkers have started arguing that this can be considered a tipping point in international balance of power in world politics. Um, some politicians in America and elsewhere in Europe have started arguing that the post-Cold War era has come to an end and we are probably entering into a, another dark period in history. That means we are entering into a new Cold War era. Uh, what that means is that on the one hand, you have authoritarian states such as Russia, China, and Iran. Remember, China has not said a word about Russian invasion of Ukraine so far. They've just kept silent so far. On the other hand, you have all the democratic countries coming together to stop Russian aggression. Um, this war has to come to an end. This must stop. And the U.S. and its democratic allies will have to come together to stop authoritarian aggressor. 
Alrighty, thank you so much for those final thoughts today. Like I said, listeners, it's a bit more of a serious topic today. Thank you again to Dr. Adhikari for being on the show and discussing this with me. I really appreciate your input. Today on Diverse Voices, I talked with Dr. Adhikari of the CMU Political Science Department about the escalating crisis in Ukraine, the stance of the U.S., and how you can help from overseas. Thank you for listening today. We at Diverse Voices stand with Ukraine and encourages listeners to do so as well. Once again, I'm your host, Mia Sikama, and this is Diverse Voices. <laughs>